Stay tuned as we talk about the 23rd Psalm today, right here on Messianic Perspectives. Shalom, and welcome to Messianic Perspectives, a daily program where we look into the scriptures from a distinctive first-century Jewish point of view. This is Liz Aiello. Today, we turn our attention to one of the most beloved passages in all of the Bible, the 23rd Psalm, with our Bible teacher, Dr. Gary Hedrick. I'll be back at the close of the program with news about a special offer. And now, here's Gary. All right, thank you, and welcome, listening friend, to another edition of our program. It's good to have you with us today as we continue this series of studies on the 23rd Psalm. We've seen that one thing that distinguishes this psalm from the others is the fact that it is so intensely personal. Notice the personal pronouns, me, and I, and my, and mine, sprinkled throughout this psalm. I shall not want, he says. He maketh me, he leadeth me, he restoreth my soul, and so on. And do you know what, my friend? The same Lord who was David's shepherd wants to have a personal relationship with you. He wants to be your personal Savior. He wants to be your Messiah. He wants you to know that if your heart stops beating before this day is over, you will go directly into God's presence, absent from the body, present with the Lord, the Bible says. But you can only have that assurance if you have a personal relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We would be happy to send you free information with no obligation about how you can receive Jesus Christ as your Savior and Messiah. The Bible calls it salvation, coming to know the Lord in a personal way, like David. That's why David could say, the Lord is my shepherd, and he can be your shepherd, my friend. He can be your Savior. He can be your Lord. All you have to do is write or call, and we'll send you the information. We can even send it in a plain envelope if you're concerned about confidentiality with no return address on the outside. It's up to you. We just want you to know that the information is yours for the asking. No one will call you. No one will visit you. No obligation of any kind. Just write to Gary Hedrick. That's me. Box 345, San Antonio, Texas. And the zip code is 78292. That's box 345, San Antonio, Texas, 78292. Or you can call 1-800-926-5397. All right. Now, we've come to the fourth verse of the 23rd Psalm. And this is where David says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Now, how could David say that? How could David say that when he walks through this deep, dark valley, he will not be afraid? He says it's because thou art with me. It is because of the companionship of the shepherd. In his book, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, Philip Keller says that a shepherd never takes his sheep anywhere he hasn't already been. He says a good shepherd always scouts out the higher ground before he moves the sheep. He wants to know every contour of the land, every possible danger, every peril, every turn of the path before he moves those sheep. 
And when you and I face the valley of the shadow of death, we can have the assurance that our shepherd has been there before us. That's why the book of Hebrews says that we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted and tested like we are. Hebrews 2.9 says our shepherd tasted death for every man. He has been through the valley of the shadow of death, and we have nothing to fear because not only is he with us, but he has been there before us. I will fear no evil, for thou art with me, he says. We're talking about our sorrow needs. The good shepherd has experienced sorrows, so he knows how we feel. Isaiah 53, 3 says, He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He experienced pain. He experienced ridicule. He experienced rejection. He experienced heartache. He wept, he agonized, he hurt, he cried out to the Father. And when he went to the cross, they beat him. They spat on him. They whipped him until his back was bloody. Then they nailed him to an old rugged cross. And then he died. So that is why the book of Hebrews says that we have a sympathetic high priest. You see, during the second temple period, which was the time during which Jesus lived, and it lasted up until the time of the destruction of the Jerusalem temple in A.D. 70, during that second temple period, the priesthood, or the Kohanut, as it was called, had become an aristocratic upper class in Jerusalem. Most of the priests, most of the Kohanim, were Sadducees. That's what the Sadducees did. They presided over temple worship. That's why the Sadducees disappeared after A.D. 70. With the temple gone, there was nothing more for them to do. The Pharisees have survived right up until the present time because their base of operations was in the synagogues. The rabbis of today are descended from the Pharisees of the New Testament. But the Sadducees disappeared because their sphere of influence or their base of operations was gone. It was the temple. When the temple was destroyed, they disappeared. But do you know what? Archaeologists in Israel have excavated some of those early priestly residences from the first century, those residences around the Temple Mount where the high priests lived. Do you know what they were? Mansions. They call them Herodian mansions because they were from the period of the Second Temple when Herod built the temple. Just last year, we took our tour group through one of the excavations of those Herodian mansions. Those priests lived in splendor. They lived in the lap of luxury. They had indoor pools. I mean, you can see them. They've excavated these things. We saw them with our own eyes. Indoor pools, indoor saunas, elaborate mosaic floors, things that we couldn't even afford today to put in our, in, in our homes. High vaulted ceilings, beautiful architecture. You see, those priests that lived in the Herodian mansions did not live in the real world. They did not experience what ordinary people experience. They did not have the struggles that we have, the problems that we have, the hardships that we have. That's why the writer of the book of Hebrews says that Jesus is not like that. He says, we do not have a high priest who cannot be touched with the feeling of our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted and tested like we are. He knows how it is. Jesus knows how we feel. 
We can trust him to take us through the valley of the shadow of death because he's already been there. He died on that cross 2,000 years ago, tasting death for every man. So the good shepherd provides for our sorrow needs. Now I want to show you something else about this valley David talks about here. Why does he call it the valley of the shadow of death? Of course, we understand the imagery because the path for the shepherd and his sheep often leads through valleys as they move to new pastures. And valleys are where the shadows are. We understand that. But in this metaphor, why did he choose to use the shadow as a symbol for death? That's what is interesting. Does the fact that death is described as a shadow mean that it's not real? Well, we all know death is real. Those of us who have buried loved ones and friends know that death is very real, painfully real. So why does David compare death to a shadow? Well, the answer is found in the definition of a shadow. The Hebrew word here that's translated shadow literally means a phantom, an illusion, or a shadow. And I brought along my trusty Webster's Ninth New Collegiate Dictionary today uh, because I want to read you the definition of the word illusion. Here is part of what it says. It says, An illusion is the perception of something objectively existing in such a way as to cause misinterpretation of its actual nature. Let me read that again. An illusion is, quote, the perception of something objectively existing in such a way as to cause misinterpretation of its actual nature. Wow. No wonder David called it the valley of the shadow of death. David is not saying here that death isn't real. What he's saying is that it exists in such a way as to cause misinterpretation of its actual nature. In other words, death is not what it appears to be. For instance, death appears to be an ending, but it's really a beginning for the child of God. Death appears to be a termination, but it's really a germination. It appears to be a tragedy, but for the child of God, it's really a triumph. You see, for those of us who know the Lord, death is really your commencement service. Because that is when your life really begins. Your spirit leaves your body and you enter a new dimension of existence, free from physical limitations, free from pain, free from impediments. And for the first time, you will know what it's like to be free of that fallen Adamic nature. Angels will escort you directly into the presence of God. For those you leave behind, it'll be a sad day. But for you, it'll be glory day. That's why David calls it the valley of the shadow of death, because it's not what it appears to be. Well, that's all of our time for today. Next time, we'll continue here in the 23rd Psalm. I hope you'll join us. Until then, this is your friend Gary Hedrick saying, God bless you. Take care. Bye-bye. Thank you, Gary. And thank you, listening friend, for tuning in today. It's always good to have you with us, whether you're listening from home, at work, or in your car. This is Messianic Perspectives, and you've been listening to Dr. Gary Hedrick talking about the 23rd Psalm. If you enjoyed today's program, you'll be glad to know that the entire series is available on Compact Disc. When you write or call, just ask for Gary's series on the 23rd Psalm. It's available for your gift of just $6 or more to help us keep this program on your station. 
No book in the world is more beloved than the Bible, and no chapter in the Bible is more beloved than the 23rd Psalm. As Gary says, for thousands of years, the 23rd Psalm has been a refreshing stream from which tired and weary pilgrims have quenched their thirst. Maybe you know someone who could use a little encouragement right now. Why not order this series for your discouraged friend or loved one? This could be exactly what he or she needs to hear. When you write, just ask for the series on the 23rd Psalm. We have yet another resource we're making available. It's Philip Keller's best-selling book entitled, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. Mr. Keller was a shepherd for many years in South Africa and Australia, and he draws on his personal experience to bring new light to the 23rd Psalm. It will help you understand the 23rd Psalm like you've never understood it before. We're offering this classic book for just $7, including postage and handling. That's the compact disc for $6 and the book for $7. Just visit our secure online store at MessianicSpecialties.com to place your order. If you would prefer to order by mail, just address your request to Messianic Perspectives, P.O. Box 345, San Antonio, Texas, 78292. To order by phone, use our toll-free order line from the U.S. The number is 1-800-926-5397. And as always, when you're in touch with us, please mention the call letters of this station. If you're listening to our webcast or podcast, we need to know that too. I'm Liz Aiello. Join us next time, won't you, as Dr. Gary Hedrick continues our series of studies on the 23rd Psalm, right here on Messianic Perspectives. Messianic Perspectives is sponsored by CJF Ministries of San Antonio, Texas, and is made possible on this station by the free will contributions of our listeners in this area.